Our service this morning, Christ the King Sunday, brings us to the end of the church year. And next Sunday, uh, December 3rd, the first Sunday in Advent, will mark the beginning of a new year in the life of the church. We'll get to Advent in a moment. But first, I want to talk a little bit about today's celebration. As church holidays go, Christ the King Sunday is practically brand new. It isn't even a hundred years old. It was first added to the church calendar of Rome in 1925 by the then Pope, Pius XI. And over the decades, it's been picked up by other traditions and other churches and added uh, to their celebrations, just like here. It's worth asking, why? Why did a pope decide to add a major holiday to the church's calendar in the 20th century? But for an answer, all we really need to do is go look at our history books. Having just been devastated by the First World War, the 1920s found the nations of Europe still racked by turmoil. The Bolshevik Revolution and the Russian Civil War, the Turkish Wars and the Armenian Genocide, the Irish War of Independence, these are just a couple of the bloody conflicts that were tearing that continent apart. To be alive at the time, it must have seemed like wars and revolutions and bloodshed would never end. At the same time, Pope Pius also could have looked around him and seen the tides of movements such, like, such as communism and fascism on the rise as well. In 1922, Benito Mussolini became prime minister of Italy. In 25, Hitler published Mein Kampf. And within a decade, he would use political turmoil in that country to become its chancellor. These were indeed dark times. And in the midst of that darkness, the Pope instituted Christ the King Sunday specifically as a counter to these things. History tells us, he wrote at the time, that festivals such as this one have been instituted one after another as the needs of the people of Christ have seemed to demand. If the whole Christian world should revere Christ as king, then we should minister to the needs of the present day and at the same time provide an excellent remedy for the plagues which now infest society. Now, I am not here today to say that the 2020s are the 1920s. However, as we look around us, it is not hard to see where some of the ills of our past continue to plague us. 
all around the world, populist movements that have laid dormant for decades are on the rise. Just a few months ago, right here in Jacksonville, there was a shooting that combined both racist and anti-Semitic animus. As a shooter entered the Dollar General over in Newtown, hunting African Americans with a gun that he had decorated with swastikas. In the wake of the October 7th attack on Israel and the invasion of Gaza that followed, Jewish leaders are reporting alarming levels of anti-Semitism around the world, and Muslim leaders are increasingly concerned about rising Islamophobia. And again, both can be found right here in Jacksonville. Last week, one of the editors of Christianity Today wrote a piece on the contemporary philosopher John Gray. Gray is himself an atheist, but he holds a deep appreciation for the role that Christianity has played in shaping the West and indeed for being the seedbed of the classically liberal world that we have inherited. Because of that, Gray is also concerned. The Christianity Today article is effectively a review of his new book titled The New Leviathans. And in it, he makes the argument that the world that you and I grew up in, in which a commitment to the rule of law, the rights enshrined in our country's First Amendment, and a culture centered on the free exchange of ideas, that world is in danger of breaking down. In its place, he fears, is a world that is not open but closed, that is not generous but selfish, that's defined less by a unified project of democracy and progress and defined more by disparate, even desperate groups who fear that they are in competition with one another and in fearing that competition actually bring the competition about. While the classically liberal world that we inherited, he admits, was not perfect, he argues that it is benevolent and familiar and a world that will follow will be morally worse than the one that came before. So, 2023 is not 1923 and 2024 will not be 1924. But it is not difficult to look around and see some of these troubling trends around us. To use the Pope's original language, none of the current plagues which infect our society, the, the social divisions, the mass shootings, the opioid epidemic, just to name a couple, none of them show any signs of going away. And that is why it is actually a great gift to have a day like today, to pause and reflect on the goodness of God in the midst of our world's troubles. To know that whatever evidence out there might be to the contrary, God remains in control. And that God remains on our side. 
to remind ourselves that salvation cannot be found in politics or violence or addiction or even in mindless consumption, but instead will only be found in the tender mercies of our God, as Luke put it in today's passage. Our God who remembers his promises, who remembers his people, who knows their sufferings and their struggles, their trials and their tribulations, knows their fears, and even more importantly than that, knows their hopes as well. So it is good to gather on Christ the King's Sunday and to sing hymns and offer prayers and remind ourselves that though it may seem dark around us and though some may fear that the darkness is deepening, in that darkness a dawn from on high will break upon us and will shine on those who sit under the shadow. Shine on those who feel overshadowed by death and sin and brokenness and will guide us away from these other things and place us instead on a path of peace. As I've gotten older and learned more and more about the church, I've learned about other traditions besides the one that I grew up in. And one of the things that I wish I would have known about sooner in my life is the practice of traditional morning prayer. And what's interesting is that just about wherever you look at any of these traditional personal morning prayer liturgies, whether in whatever tradition it is, whatever period of time, whatever age you look in, what's interesting is that you will find this morning's Luke text in almost every single one. It's the song that Zechariah sang over his newborn son, John the Baptist. And the reason the reason that this passage particularly has been included in so many morning prayer services is the pivot that it takes in verse 76. And you, my child. Zechariah starts out his song praising God for all of the things that God has already done and all of the things that God is still going to do. And then all of a sudden he turns his attention from the heavens above to the child in his arms. And he looks at him and he says, And you, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways and give knowledge of salvation to his people. You, he says to his child John. You see, somebody, somewhere, somebody who's a whole lot wiser than I am, knew that this was not just 
the vocation of John the Baptist. And it wouldn't be just the vocation of the 12 disciples, and it certainly is not just the vocation of people like me and Britt and Tommy. Some wise person knew that this calling to go before the Lord, to prepare the way of the Lord, was the vocation of all Christians in all times. And so they tied this passage, this song, to the morning prayers of their brothers and sisters so that every single day, every time they woke up and they began their day with prayer, they would receive this reminder. You, my child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord and prepare His ways. You. And you. You and you and even y'all and even me. What an incredible reminder. What an incredible gift. And what an incredible vocation to go from this place and draw the eyes and the ears and the hearts of our neighbors to the Lord. To go from this place and give knowledge of salvation to our brothers and our sisters who are seeking some glimmer of hope or of peace or of justice or a sense of self-worth in a world that they believe does not offer it to them. Because that is what people around us are hungering for. That is what they want. Salvation. People who follow demagogues are looking for salvation. People who ground their self-worth in a nationalist or a racial identity are looking for salvation. People who find themselves ensnared in substance abuse at least in my pastoral experience. They got there so often, not because they were looking for a high, but instead because they were looking for an escape. They were looking for salvation. And that is not what they found. But it is what God has promised. And it is our great good fortune that we can share that good news and help them find it. After today, the next time that y'all will gather together in this room uh, will be next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent. I'm not going to be able to be here with all of you. I will be back up in South Carolina officiating a wedding for one of my nieces. So let me go ahead and wish all of you a blessed and a happy Advent. And let me encourage you, lean into that time. Lean into Advent. Use it as a way to prepare yourself 
for the coming of the Lord to examine yourselves and to take the time to savor the promises that God has made to all of God's people and to each and every one of us down through the ages. Don't rush to Christmas. Allow yourselves to wait and to yearn for the Christ child, to yearn for the redemption of the world around us, to yearn for the return of the King in all his glory and for the inbreaking of the glorious light that will shine in the darkness and that the darkness will never, ever overcome. And then, let me encourage you to do one more Take up the mantle of John the Baptist. You, you be the prophet of the Most High. You go before the Lord and prepare his way. You give the knowledge of salvation to all of God's children. Bear witness to that light to the true light that will shine in the lives of those around us who find themselves in darkness. You, you do that. And I'll do that. And together, my friends, we will do that. Hallelujah. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. There are as many ways to suffer as there are people in this world. And sometimes they look alike, but they are never quite the same. There are many ways to despair or to be lonely or to be in need. And they may look alike, but they are never quite the same. And the good news is that none of them are supposed to be carried alone. All of them are supposed to be shared. The good news, my friends, is that in this place, we can find brothers and sisters who will help us see the light as it breaks, as it clears the darkness, see the hope that is out there, the peace of God which can pass all understanding. And if you're here today and you need that, you need that peace or that hope, if you need that kind of grace in your world, or if you know that grace and you want to join with our family and share it with other people. And now is the time in our service when such things might be made known publicly. As we stand together as we are able and sing.